It has been called the greatest document in the history of humanity. Whenever and wherever people have studied and accepted its teachings, they have discovered hope, life, peace, prosperity, and deliverance from tyranny. Welcome to Romans. We give you a great welcome today. We welcome you here in our studio in Southern California and also our terrific audience across the United States of America, across North America, up in Canada, down into the Caribbean, in Australia and right around the world. Now, we have been studying the book of Romans and Romans has been called the greatest masterpiece that the human mind has ever conceived or realized. The greatest book ever written in the history of the world. Today, this is Romans part two. Now, I want you to put yourself in my shoes a number of years ago, quite a few years ago. A young man in the great city of Melbourne, earnest young man, came under the influence of some religious teachers. This is a young man in the prime of his life, in university, a very sensitive young man, and he's told, unless you become totally and absolutely sinless, you can't be saved. And this is drummed into him. You've got to be perfect and you've got to be saved uh, through coming to God and becoming so surrendered that you are absolutely sinless as Christ was sinless. And this young man went into his garage in the family house, got in the family car and turned on the car, closed up the garage, and killed himself. Now, I was the pastor of a great church in Sydney. It was called the Warunga Church. Uh, Warunga is the northern suburbs of Sydney, a beautiful place, just a gorgeous place. And I had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young people in that church, most of them from the Sydney Adventist Hospital, a great institution. And they had come under the influence of strong religious teachers who were telling them they had to be sinless before they could be saved. Now, I put it to you, what would you do? What on earth would you do? Would you give in to pressure and go with the crowd? What would you do? I will tell you, my friends, what I did. I preached the gospel of Christ. Because the gospel of Christ uh, is good news. I want you to know this because most folks don't get it. But you're going to get it. The gospel is good news and it's not good advice. Advice is what you ought to do. 
advice is do, 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 cock-a-doodle-doo. And there's a million preachers who are preaching good advice. The gospel is not good advice, it is good news. Now, news is about something that someone has done. And the gospel is the good news about what God in Christ has done for us. Now, this is the great difference. It's not about me. Look at Romans chapter 1 and verses 1 and 3. And if you and I can get this today, it's going to be a great relief. And uh, some of you sitting here today, all of a sudden, you're going to get a revelation. And you're going to say, I've never seen that before. I've been terribly burdened. I've been terribly worried. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 and 3. Paul, bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, the good news of God. And verse 3 says, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Therefore, let this get down into our minds. The gospel is not about me. It is not about my performance. No, the gospel is not about me. The gospel is about God. And it's good news. Now, last time I spoke, I dealt with Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. Uh, if you missed that, you can see it on Roku. Go to our website. Uh, watch it on Apple TV. See it on YouTube or Amazon Fire. And we have other stations too. Today, Romans, this is going to be hard. Romans 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, so help me. Romans chapter 3 says that we are justified by the grace of God. Look at Romans chapter 3 and uh, verse 23, dear hearts and uh, gentle people. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is a text most people don't understand. It says, all have sinned, uh, the Greek says, and the English says. This is continuous. This is perfect, continuous, not past tense. All have sinned, that's past, but this falls short is what is happening now. The Bible teaches that every person except Christ, every person is falling short of the glory of God. Oh, you say, no, no, that, that's no, not, if I, not if I've been a Christian for 50 years, I've finally attained. No, that's, that's not true. You can argue with me, but don't argue with the scriptures. The Bible says we continue to fall short of the glory of God. Now, the Bible tells us this, that in Adam we have all fallen. We are, we are in a, this goes against the pride of the human heart especially the people who are super religious, some of the most dangerous people on the face of the earth, the super religious, the Pharisees. The Bible says we are falling short of the glory of God. This, this graph tells you here we are. Humanity is falling into the flames of hell. And there's only one person who's gone across this great chasm, and that is Jesus Christ. 
And so the first truth is this. There are no people in the world who are good enough. Look at verse 24. And if I can get no other truth preached today, I'll be glad. Verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Now, you've got to see this. The word justify here is very much akin to the word righteousness in the Hebrew and in, in the Greek. But when the Bible says justify, it means uh, not to make righteous, but to declare righteous. People say, oh, there's no difference. There's a difference between heaven and hell. I want you to see this. The word justified does not mean, in spite of a thousand sermons to the contrary, it doesn't mean to make me righteous. It means that God declares that John Carter, a penitent sinner because of Christ, uh, is righteous. Now, you've all heard of Mother Theresa, whom we all love this great Roman Catholic nun. Loved around the world. After she died, they discovered her letters. Mother Teresa was taught by the Jesuits. You say, so what? They're great people. Mother Teresa was taught that justification means to make righteous. And Mother Teresa was continually depressed and in despair and suicidal. And she said she never saw once in her life the loving face of God. Have you heard of the Council of Trent? After the Reformation, they, the Jesuits were in charge of the Council of Trent and they taught the justification. Listen carefully because maybe you believe this. I've met many, many so-called Protestants uh, who believe Jesuit theology. The Jesuits taught that justification was the work of the Holy Spirit in the soul uh, to make me sinless so I could see the face of God. But the awful thing is this. When does a person in this lifetime ever come to this state of sinless perfection? because you never know when you're good enough. That's why so many people I've met are depressed and unhappy because they never know. They've been fed a lot of bad theology. Now, people get mad with me when I preach this sermon. I say, don't get mad with me, get mad with Paul. Get mad with Christ. Romans chapter 3, 25. If you want to get angry, get angry with your own thinking whom God set forth as a propitiation and atoning sacrifice by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Now, I don't have time to go into this. It says that God might be righteous. This is not a shrewdy. This is not a con job. God cannot just forgive sin. God cannot say, well, look, you've all sinned. Hey, forget about it. God's got to be righteous. You know how God is righteous? On the cross, 
He tastes his own wrath against sin. He pays the price. He's a propitiation. This word should not be translated expiation, as it is in some translations. Propitiation. So that he can be righteous and I can be declared righteous. That's almost too hard to believe. That's why many people won't believe it. Romans chapter 4 says, this is true, but it is not new. Back in his day, the Jewish people said, this is a big heresy. This is the new theology. This is a new idea. Remember, if it's new, it's seldom true. And if it's true, it's seldom new. And so now Paul says, okay, I'm going to prove it to you from the Old Testament. Romans uh, chapter 4, verse 2 and 3, the first example. Abraham, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. But what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted, accounted, accounted to him for righteousness. So this is not a Pauline doctrine in itself. This is the very basis of the Old Testament that we cannot be saved by law. Romans 4 verse 5, the most heretical text in the Bible. I've had people get almost filled with rage when I've quoted this text. But to him who does not work, as far as salvation is concerned, but believes on him who justifies, what does it say? Tell me what it says. It says, justifies the ungodly. People have said, God cannot justify the ungodly. If he justifies you, that's what he's doing. Because we are ungodly. Unlike God, he justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted, accounted, accounted. It's like God puts it to your account. You're a pauper. Got no money. And God puts a billion dollars in your account. You don't deserve it. Ellen White said this, the prayers of true believers ascend, uh, go up to heaven, but passing through the corrupt channels of humanity, they are so defiled. The prayers of true believers, so defiled, that unless covered by the blood of Christ, they're worth nothing. So the first truth that ought to sink down into our minds is that we are ungodly, needing the grace of God, unlike God. Then he brings us to David. Here's another case. Romans 4, verse 6, 7, and 8. Romans 4. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. We're talking here about a murderer an adulterer. He said, <laughs> it's not right. It is the righteousness of God because God took upon himself in Christ uh, the adulteries and the murders of King David. What is it called? Grace. This tells me there's hope for the sinner. If you feel that you're a sinner, there's hope for you. 
If you feel that you're better than other people at this time in your life, there's no hope for you unless you become enlightened. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Glory. Glory. That's why Tyndale called the book of Romans good, glad, and merry tidings that makes a man's heart to sing for joy and his feet to dance. Let me tell you, there are two great mountains in the Bible, Mount Sinai. You'll never get to heaven climbing up the quaking sides of Mount Sinai. You can't do it. But there's another mountain on which Christ hangs. That's grace. The Romans chapter 5 is a controversial chapter because it says we are lost in Adam and people say it isn't fair. You think Christ dying for you is fair? We're not talking here about fairness. Romans 5, we're lost in Adam, but we're saved in Christ. Now, I've done a whole series, verse by verse, exposition on this. But today, we're doing a summary. We're trying to compress the ocean into a thimble. So look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore... Just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Uh, I've had people in the church, Sydney, they would come to me and they'd say, no, we don't believe this. Don't believe what you're teaching. What will you believe? I don't want to believe that either. Through one man sin entered the world. Adam was driving the vehicle. You're driving. We were in the back seat. And when the car went off the road with Adam driving, we went off the road with him. You say to me, as some people have said, but I wasn't in the back seat. I was not in Adam. I am me. I'm me here. If you weren't in Adam, let me ask you this. Did you come from another planet? Where did you come from? Now, the Bible tells us that our Lord was in the loins of King David. Wasn't he? King David was his father. When Adam sinned, we spiritually and generically were in Adam. Adam was the head of the human race. He was the spiritual head. He was the genetic head of the human race. When Adam sinned, um, we were in the back seat. I was there. And when he went off the road, the human race went off with him. The Bible says, for all sinned. If you wish to go and read a good commentary like our own SDA commentary, it says this is not talking about individual sins. Oh, not? No, it's talking about the fact that when Adam sinned, we sinned in him. 
People say, well, no, no, I'm not, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not a sinner until I do this and that and <laughs> do something bad like King David. No. We are born with the black blood of Adam coursing in our veins. We are born in need of a saviour. That is why we ought to train our little children when they're tiny to say their prayers. I ask the mothers and the fathers, do you see in little children propensities or tendencies to sin? Oh no, never see. <laughs> you ever see a baby show signs of bad temper? Where does it come from, mothers? The fathers, yes. No, we know where it comes from. It is born in them. That's why Spurgeon referred to it as the black blood of Adam coursing in our veins. That's why Jesus said, you must be born again. What does this mean? Well, we're born with this fallen nature and we need to be born again. That's what Jesus said. Read those verses in Romans 5. Don't disregard them, but think about it. What I'm telling you is solid theology. Verse 19. This is what the greatest scholars have ever taught, and our greatest scholars. For as by one man's disobedience, what does it say? Many were made sinners. Who was it talking about? Adam. For by one man's by Adam's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Listen carefully. We are born in a state of sin and rebellion. You don't need to go to the theological seminary to learn how to be a Pharisee. We are born rebels. We are born Pharisees. That's what we are. And the greatest sin of all uh, is a failure to recognize Christ and who we are. That is the greatest of all sins. We're born in a state of sin and rebellion, but Jesus has redeemed Adam's failure. Therefore, believe in Jesus now and become complete and saved in him now. A person can pass from death to life now. People say, no, no, it's a process. Thank you for the Jesuit contribution. We're not talking here about a process. We are talking about believing with all our hearts as penitents in Christ. Romans 5, verse 20, dear hearts and gentle people. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, uh, grace abounded much more. Amen. 
you see? So in Adam, all is lost. In Christ, all is saved. Mm -hmm. The law came in. Do you think the law came in and made us look good? Do <laughs> you think when God gave the commandments, it made us look good? Where sin did abound, we see ourselves lepers. Now, if you haven't had that experience, you haven't become yet a Christian. You may be super religious and super pious. The people you've got to be suspicious of are the people who are over-religious because they're probably using religion as a cloak to cover their sins. So sin comes in like a mighty plague, like a, a mighty flood. But when sin comes in like a flood, God sends the creator of the universe. It's almost too hard to believe this. The creator of the cosmos comes and he becomes the appreciation for my guilt and my sins and all of my infidelities and everything else. And therefore, what can I do? Amazing. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to your cross I cling. And we will continue this in just a moment. More amazing truths to come about the Redeemer, just moments away. The Antichrist is in the temple of God. I will read you the actual words of the great Roman Catholic Church. More than a billion people pray to the dead. But the Bible talks very plainly about good angels and bad angels. Why on earth were you and I born? This DVD series from John Carter will be yours with a gift of $50 U.S. or $70 Australian. Write to us at the address on the screen. Visit carterreport.org, your home for inspirational teaching. One point three billion people live in India. Two hundred million of these are Dalits. Dalits, formerly called untouchables, are the lowest members of the caste system. One hundred percent of your gift will go to fund projects for Dalit girls as an alternative to slavery and prostitution. Your gift of $600 will educate, clothe, and feed one daylit girl between 5 and 15 years of age for one year. Go to carterreport.org or to the address on the screen to send your gift of $600.
and changed the life of one Indian Dalit girl for one full year. For a copy of today's program, please contact us at P.O. Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. Or in Australia, contact us at P.O. Box 861, Terrigal, New South Wales, 2260. This program is made possible through the generous support of viewers like you. We thank you for your continued support. May God richly bless you.